Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Dominique Morisot is a brilliant playwright and has garnered recognition that includes a MacArthur Genius Grant and an Obie Award. Her play, Sunset Baby, is on stage now at Actors Express. Later this hour, director Amanda Washington tells us how Sunset Baby explores what happens when the personal and political collide. First, primates can astonish us with their demonstration of abilities to engage in human-like endeavors. Coco the gorilla spoke in sign language. Gordo, a squirrel monkey, went into space in 1958. And now Elok, the orangutan who creates NFTs. The Atlanta-based Megafauna Studio partnered with an orangutan named Elok and zoologists at the Oklahoma City Zoo to present the world's first NFT collection created by a great ape. All sales of Ellark's NFT artworks go to benefit orangutan conservation. Megafauna Studio founders Becky Scheel and Mathieu Kuhn join me now via Zoom to tell us more about their organization. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. Thanks so much for having us. Becky, I read that you first explored this idea of involving orangutans in creating digital artwork as part of your master's thesis at Georgia Tech, and you also worked with animals at Zoo Atlanta. What inspired this idea? Yeah, I, I worked at Zoo Atlanta for 10 years and was constantly amazed by all the animals at their care and noticed that they use painting a lot for enrichment, which I was really curious about. Some animals just kind of walk over the canvas and don't really seem to notice it, but great apes take a lot of care with it. And so do other animals, such as elephants, who I've also worked with in this space. So wanted to go back to grad school to kind of study more of this. And there's a fascinating trove of academic work being done here, looking at why do primates draw? And it seems to be the same reason humans do, enjoyment for, <laughs> for the action of drawing or painting or creating. So I was really intrigued by that, especially as orangutans especially are not in the best shape prognosis in the wild. So people that manage them in captivity are having to kind of look at ways to keep their bodies and minds active. So painting just seemed to be a really amazing process for that. This is so intriguing when you say uh, orangutans at Zoo Atlanta were already painting when you started working there. Do they have to be shown 
how to paint? How do you do? Does someone show them a brush and paper? How does that work? I, I'm not sure if I can answer how painting was first shown to them, but I will tell you with this project, it usually involves lots of positive behavior. Also, orangutans come from various backgrounds. Some were born in captivity. Others were reared by people and some even in the movie industry. So some of them have more familiarity with the culture of humans than others. So it really depends on what individual you're working with. You do show them with like positive behavior, uh, usually involving their favorite snack of some kind to show them something new. Matt, for those unfamiliar with NFTs, would you give us a brief description? Okay, so NFTs in in essence are actually a non-fungible token, as most people know. And basically it's just a smart contract stored on a blockchain. And in some cases like this, these NFTs are basically images stored on a blockchain. And that's, I mean, that's essentially what an NFT is. Okay. What is the definition or description of a blockchain? So a blockchain, like the blockchain we used, Ethereum, is basically a decentralized system which stores all information and data that goes in and out of it on the, on the chain. Okay, that's helpful. How did the two of you connect and decide to merge Becky's design skills with Matt's tech savvy for this project? We both have a love for wildlife and are always excited to travel and go see zoos. And the zoo world is very uh, small. So we were visiting our friend in Oklahoma for their wedding where a bunch of my past coworkers from Zoo Atlanta now work. And we mentioned it, our idea, and, and they were like, that sounds great. And I wish all ideas and contracts were as easy as that. I guess you have to go to more weddings. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that certainly helped. And then uh, we kind of did a formal proposal and, and pitched our idea. Uh, pun intended or not? <laughs> of course intended. <laughs> <laughs> and why did you choose Alloc? His keepers kind of recommended him. He has a very interesting history where he was hand-reared because his mother couldn't care for him. And so he's very familiar with his keeper staff and has close ties to them and really appreciates human interaction um, where he can get it with his keepers and really loves painting, um, which we were able to witness. So he was the perfect artist to work with on this. You mentioned the positive reinforcement. If you could elaborate a little bit, how do you work with the zoologists to ensure that Alloc is happy to participate with his painting. Oh, for sure. Back to my thesis a little bit. It's really, it's really hard to interview an orangutan for feedback. I do this all the time in my design job. But with an orangutan, we generally look at a few key indicators, which is attention and stay time. So how long are they interacting with something? Where does their attention go to? And then we also look at, are they exhibiting any behaviors which would ever cause us to stop? And that's why having a really a partnership with their care team that knows them well, who understands their moods is really crucial to this type of work. So um, without Pace, Alex main keeper at Oklahoma City Zoo, I, I think um, it really helped us understand through her eyes what, what he was experiencing. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with Becky Scheel and Mathieu Kuhn, the co-founders of Megafauna Studio. Curious about the process in which Alec creates his digital artwork, what is the Connect system? It is it's simply like a motion tracking camera. Um, I used to play silly video games with my old roommate on it and dance. It's a really interesting tool because it's, it's very affordable. I think I got mine for $10 and it's able to track all kinds of wonderful things as uh, skeletons and nearest point. For this work with 
Alec, we decided not to go too far off his normal painting process, uh, which is pretty cool. It's we uh, were able to witness it a few days beforehand where the keepers give Alec a PVC pipe and at the end they fix a paintbrush and then a few meters back the keeper will hold a canvas and then Alec is able to put the paintbrush on the canvas. And the reason they use this PVC extender is that orangutans are amazing creatures. They have this engineer-like curiosity and they will destroy that paintbrush. So to prevent that from happening and them eating a lot of paint, <laughs> they put it on this extender. How do you glean Ellick's reaction to painting and creating digital art? He does it often and he seems to really enjoy it. And you can kind of track that by, is he present in it? Is he Because he has an option to leave. He can go anywhere in this exhibit, but when he sees it, he kind of approaches it. When I worked at Sioux Atlanta, I worked hand in hand with a keeper named Lynn and she would tell me, oh, the rings heard your voice this morning. So they lined up to where you usually work with them. Oh. Yeah, there is like this eagerness sometimes we see with working with a new and novel enrichment. Does Ella do things like switch colors? Does he have, uh, you know, favorite colors or shapes? That was the first question we asked. Um, there's this really fascinating study in science that looked at color preference in orangutans. And uh, Alex Keepers didn't say that he had a preference for color, but they did say he really loved bubbles. Huh. Uh, <laughs> we made warm-up applications for him too, including um, the more he moved the paintbrush, the more bubbles would appear just to try to kind of make this a personalized experience to his likes. Can you tell if he's having fun? He will definitely tell you if he is done. Towards the end of the day, I think he put the paintbrush down and that was it. But I think, you know, we were there over only two days and he came back to the application and was there for a few hours. So that shows based on research of stay time and attention, it showed that he was interested in it. And is there an average for how long it takes him to complete a painting? He's pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty quick. It was hard to keep up with him in some cases. So I think that was a challenge on our half of having to set up a new uh, digital canvas because he would just keep going. And we were also trying to create art with him. So he was pretty prolific. Becky, is he looking at the canvas? Is he looking at the shapes and the colors and the bubbles intently while he's creating, or is he just kind of swishing around the wand? Yeah, I mean, that was the question we, we had the first day. We were really curious to learn that. And at the time, we were just debugging the whole thing because we didn't have it uh, set up to calibrate with his space. And so we were really curious about that, but it, we did see him look at the screen, which I thought was was the answer we always wanted. And it was the question that always gets asked about um, my previous work with apes. He was watching it. He had a funny behavior with me and, and Matt where he was really shy about making eye contact with us. Aww. So he would kind of look away, but he was looking at the screen. The extraordinary primatologist Jane Goodall worked with a gorilla named Coco, also known for making paintings, hers on canvases. Becky, did you draw inspiration from Coco's story and her artwork? Oh, I love Coco the gorilla. I was really debating whether working with gorillas or orangutans a long time ago because um, they're both so fascinating to work with. But there's a funny story around that um, and why a lot of researchers work with orangutans over gorillas is because they're much easier to track their expressions. Their face is much more expressive than gorillas. I worked with a primatologist and she lovingly called gorillas snorillas when <laughs> working with them. I mean, we all love gorillas, but they're just harder to, to track expression. Huh. And why did you want to expand upon Coco's story and her artwork? Why did you want to extend that into the digital realm? I think we were just really excited at the time. A lot of people were 
were donating towards orangutan causes in the crypto community at the time. And we thought, paired with my past work with Zoo Atlanta, there was a way to take that momentum and build a really lovely fundraiser around it that would make a great connection to conservation. It would expand uh, people caring about animals and wildlife, and it would be novel. Not for nothing, this experience with enrichment is kind of extraordinary and new for the animals too. So just seemed like a win-win. Matt, you specialize and consult in blockchain technology. Why do you believe cryptocurrency can bring about positive change? Because honestly, it's the, it's the future. Much like the internet, you know, a couple of decades ago, this is the future. It democratizes a lot of things and it gives back power to people instead of maybe governments and things like that, which is good or bad. And then, you know, NFTs in a, as an extension of this are truly like what what's what's coming next. How does it offer opportunities in ecological conservation? Well, this actually, interestingly, we chose to make our NFTs on Ethereum since the merge just happened, which was the switch of the Ethereum blockchain from proof of work to proof of stake which reduced its energy consumption by 99.5%. Wow. So we felt, yeah, it's so this is, you know, it's a step in the right direction. These like these, these blockchains care about the environment. It just takes a while for them to become efficient. And, you know, they see the future, they understand this. And these NFTs not only open eyes towards conservation, but they also, you know, kind of show that these blockchains and cryptocurrency in general can be good and positive for humanity. Have either of you gotten any pushback about selling LX NFTs or your research in general? There are people who say that the energy consumption is quite high, but, you know, like just take it like two weeks ago, Ethereum just reduced their, their footprint by, you know, a thousand times. So, you know, to change the world, you have to use some energy, but also they're making steps in the right direction towards becoming more efficient. So, you know, it's, I feel like it's a good thing. What are some of the conservation projects, the Oklahoma City Zoo funds that help protect endangered orangutan habitats? They partner with a few organizations on the ground in Indonesia and Malaysia, and they also partner with Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, which I know is gorillas, but they're also based in Atlanta, so I have to, <laughs> I have to be compelled to mention them. But they do a lot of efforts on making sure that the organization is viable, is doing amazing work. I think they're still deciding on which one to give the proceeds to, so I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> we follow them on Twitter, so we're looking forward to them deciding on who the money goes to. How can people purchase LOX NFTs? So right now, we have a few for sale on OpenSea.io, which is the biggest auction and sales place for NFTs. And you just search ELEC under there or ELEC collection, and you'll find it. E-L-O-K is how That's he right. spells his name. It is. Will you extend this project to others who's around the U.S.? We certainly hope so. I think it, the timing of this just worked out really well with Oklahoma City Zoo, and I think um, even extending it to different species and individuals would be a fascinating thing just from my view as a researcher of how these things end up. But yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting opportunity. And I think also to bring machine enrichment forward and new technologies in that space is also equally exciting. Becky Scheel and Mathieu Kuhn, co-founders of Megafauna Studio. More information about Megafauna and their Eloc the Orangutan NFT collection is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. 
In a moment, we'll hear about the actor's express production of Sunset Baby and learn why this star was directed to think of her character as a tea kettle. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The play Sunset Baby by Dominique Morisot is the story of one family's journey through rebellion, abandonment, and reconciliation. The play is on stage at Actors Express through October 16th. Actors Express Associate Artistic Director Amanda Washington is the director of Sunset Baby. She joins me now via Zoom to talk about this new production. Amanda, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much for having me. You said this play will, quote, Hold your breath hostage from beginning to end. What is it about the story and Morisot's writing that had that impact on you? Well, I got that from Dominique Morisot's intro when she's describing the play in the first couple of pages. And as you read the script, but also see the performance, these characters are relentless in their pursuit of living to their fullest ability and living to their fullest dreams. Nina specifically, she's a really tough character. On paper, it always seems as if she's angry and that she has lots of walls and doesn't let people in. However, when you really actually dissect the words and actions and intentions that you put towards the character, Nina, she's so layered. Brittany Deneen, the actress playing Nina in our production at Actors Express, I gave her the direction of thinking Nina as a teapot or a tea kettle. And at certain times, the tea kettle is just simmering and then it boils and then it whistles. And so those are so, so many different levels to Nina. And just think about that when you're, when you're working with her and how you want to approach and portray her to the world. Now, Nina is one of the protagonists. Another is the character Kenyatta Shakur. Please tell us about Kenyatta Shakur, uh, what happened to him leading up to the play's timeline. Uh, So Kenyatta is just being released from prison. He was arrested for robbing a truck. It doesn't really get more specific after that. He He had guns and he was robbing a a, a truck. So after that, it's not too specific, but he's been in prison for a very long time. He's missed the entire childhood and early to mid twenties of Nina's life because in the script, she's in her late twenties. And so there's just all this time of absenteeism, but also I say he was involved in this robbery. He was also a part of the black liberation movement. And so, in a sense, this work that he was doing could have been associated with his activism for the Black Liberation Movement. Mm. How has Kenyatta's daughter Nina coped 
during her father's absence while he was in prison? Oh, that's a uh, coped is such an interesting word to to use. <laughs> I'm not sure if she actually has coped with it. I know she has resigned herself to think that he is a deadbeat and is worthless. Mm. I'm not sure if that's her actually facing the layered man that Kenyatta is. I think that's her writing him off without actually reading the book. And what happens? What's her attitude toward him when he returns home? Oh, she completely shuts down. She completely shuts down. And she kind of calls him out for saying, you only return because you want something from me, not because you actually wanted to see me or see how I was doing. You only returned because you heard about letters that your lover, Ashanti X, my mother, wrote to you. Yeah, this is a major plot point with these letters. Why doesn't Nina want Kenyatta to see this collection? And that's actually a really good question. The why, I think part of it, in my opinion, is a power play. It's, I have something you want. You took away something that I wanted a father in my life. So now it's like, I'm not going to give you what you want because I didn't get what I wanted. Mm. I could definitely see that being a part of it. You mentioned Brittany Deneen playing the role of Nina mm -hmm. Kenyatta is played by Eddie Paul Bradley Jr. There's only one other character in the play, Damon, portrayed by Surreal Toribio. Who is Damon and what's his relationship to Nina? Oh my goodness, who is Damon? Mm. According to my students at Kennesaw State, he is a terrible human being. <laughs> <laughs> but you think, no, maybe there's a good side? I like to see the best in everybody. I'm not sure if that is a great thing about me or not. But <laughs> <laughs> he in the play is Nina's boyfriend. And he is a drug dealer in a sense. He is a drug dealer that has been running the streets for a very long time he's in his 30s and in that industry that is a little old because it's it's a survival of the fittest type of mindset so he's a father he's a he's a drug dealer he's a boyfriend and once again similar to what i, I said earlier he's just somebody who wants to live out his dreams and not have to worry about making it to tomorrow mm. even if those dreams involve criminal behavior and you see, and that's something that we touch on in the play of how he doesn't want to, to be a part of this criminal behavior anymore because he knows it's not sustainable. He has a line. It's like, this stuff doesn't come with a 401k, Nina. <laughs> <laughs> no, drug dealing usually doesn't have that attached to it. But do you think the playwright is stating something about crime versus resource? or in the case of Kenyatta, crime versus revolutionary activism, crime for the greater good. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think there's a huge commentary on it. I definitely believe that not everyone has a choice in how they make their money. They just know they have to make it if they want to be able to keep the lights on in their house, pay the rent, and, for their house or apartment or whatever their living situation is, have food and all the other things that are just basic human necessities. However, the means to get money in order to pay for those things, we're not all given the same opportunities. And sometimes, sometimes you do have to go the unconventional path or the path that is highly frowned upon. And so I think it's a huge commentary on okay, activism asked you to do this. Would we consider it a crime as long as we're saying it's activism? However, if we just see it as an everyday person on the streets doing it, is it considered a crime? I think, I don't ever think there's a right or wrong answer in a lot of cases, but it's just perspective and how you want to analyze the situation. 
This will be the first of Dominique Morisot's plays performed at Actors Express, though her work has been celebrated in Atlanta's theater community with Detroit 67, and I think Paradise Blue also at Kenny Leon's True Colors, and Pipeline at Horizon Theater. Mm -hmm. What was the first encounter you had with Dominique Morisot's work? Mm. I believe my first encounter was Pipeline. And I read it and I was like, oh my goodness. It, it's like a river. It just flows and it the water goes over rocks and then it gets into a little bit of a whirlwind. And then it, in a certain places it empties out into like a bigger mass or body of water and then it keeps pushing forward and finds a different stream to go down and i loved that about it because there was lulls but then there was also speeds and pipeline and then so reading sunset baby it's similar it's similar but it's also not there's still very much so the poetry but this one it almost felt like a boxing match with the gut wrenching and the punches that were thrown, but also having to take a time out and sit on the sidelines because you are so bloodied up or beaten that you can't continue at the moment and you have to you have to pass that little test they give you and hopefully your coach slips you the answers or hopefully they don't, depends on what side you're on. Amanda, I think I could be directed by you. I love your use of metaphor. <laughs> Yay, thank you. Of course, the fact that I'm not an actor might pose a little bit of a problem, but they don't hand out those MacArthur Genius Awards for nothing, and Dominique Morisot is a MacArthur Fellow. She also wrote and was a co-producer for the hit show Shameless, and I was so excited when I saw she wrote the book for the Temptations musical, Ain't Too Proud. So we've got a playwright here who doesn't seem to be a snob, or at least she is not limited to the most serious and perhaps erudite type plays to be produced. This. This is a writer who sees good and great value in different forms of entertainment. Yes. I had the pleasure of hearing her speak a couple of months ago, and she just seems very down-to-earth and personable. And I love how she says, I'm, I'm writing the people I see. And I think that allows her such a broad spectrum for her writing, because if you're writing the people you see, then with her work, she's meeting all different kinds of people. So it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch or read the breadth of work she has. Amanda Washington, the artistic director for Actors Express and director of their latest production, Sunset Baby by Dominique Morisot. The play is on stage through October 16th, and more information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, an overview of the 44 Murals Project, an outdoor art destination on Donald Lee Hollowell Parkway in Bankhead. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. The 44 Murals Project is a community undertaking that brought together local artists to create large-scale murals in West Atlanta. The creatives were given free range to beautify a warehouse complex and express themselves through their artwork. 
De Leon Blakely is the curator of the 44 Murals Project. She joins me now via Zoom with the artist Melody Thomas, one of the muralists. Welcome to City Lights. How are you guys? Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. De Leon, please tell us why you and your team selected the location on Donald Lee Hollowell Parkway in Bankhead for these murals. So we picked Bankhead specifically for the history that's behind it. For those who are not familiar with Bankhead, it is a notorious neighborhood in Atlanta, right? A lot of artists, rappers, musicians have come out of that uh, neighborhood, but it's very underpoverished. So when we were able to acquire the property, the first thing that I wanted to do is kind of treat it like the rest of Atlanta. You know, you can go to Old Fourth Ward and see art plastered everywhere. You can go downtown Atlanta and see the same thing. You can go to the more uh, established neighborhoods and just see self-expression from different artists and things like that. And I realized that Bankhead was missing that. I am originally from Chicago and I grew up very, very close to my neighbors in my neighborhood as well. Not the best neighborhood, but it was a sense of community. And that was one thing that I wanted to make sure was expressed through the property that we received and through, you know, the art and the artists that we connected with. So I really just went full-fledged and, and did an artist call, got some promo together and just reached out to the artists that I knew because I've worked with artists for several years at this point. So I reached out to my connects, got some promo going and put out a blast and a, and a call for artists to just give them free range. Because not only were we looking to, you know, make this a community project, we also wanted the murals to speak on social change and just cultural improvement, kind of like a, hey, we're here too. Another special thing about the property is they're building the belt line behind our warehouse. So within the next few years, it's going to be a lot of traffic over there. And again, I wanted to be able to utilize this space to showcase people right here in Atlanta. We have a lot of artists who are actually from the same neighborhood who are like, we've been looking for things like this. Not everybody has, well, one, access to public transportation or cars and things like that. We receive a lot of foot traffic and we are really in the heart of residents. So I've, I've just been super, super excited and blessed to be able to work with the community on this. Not all of the murals are immediately visible from the road. Was that intentional? So it wasn't necessarily intentional, but it became intentional. It was one of those things that, like I mentioned, we do have foot traffic and a lot of cars drive by. I wanted it to be a thing where you're kind of driving by or you're walking by and you're saying like, what is this? I want to know what this is. How can I get involved? And I want to know more. And then I also wanted it to be an element of surprise. So whatever you do see while you're walking by or driving by, that's just a piece of it. You know, we have murals that extend all around the property and we're starting on murals inside of the warehouse so it's just a cool experience you get a little glimpse but when you get onto the property it's just so much more to experience yeah and it seems like because of the fact that not all of the murals are visible from the road for those who want to explore the complex they can get out and view the entire outdoor gallery correct so what we've been doing now, we host weekly events on the property. If it's not weekly, it might be two events a week where our gates are open and artists or whoever wants to just come by and see the art there, they have more than enough opportunity to come and do that. I will say we are making a few adjustments on our hours to make it a little bit more accessible for people who just want to come and view the art. So that is to come. Okay. How did you come up with the name of the project? So funny story, the project is 44 murals. When I got the property, I counted the large square spaces and it was 44 square spaces. So I was like, okay, we're going to call this the 44 murals project, 44 spaces, 44 murals in Atlanta. Perfect. That quickly changed because um, creators are creators, you know, they don't need They'll create art any and everywhere, right? So we started off thinking, assuming that it would only be 44 murals. And currently we're about at 86 murals. So it's double that. So at this point, we're kind of just sticking to the name because that's what we started with at the beginning. But it was a play on words for the amount of murals that we thought that we were going to have on the property. But it's been way more than that. Uh, what was the selection process for 
the muralists who participated. So everything was pretty much through either some type of submission or just showing their art. So I also managed the 44 murals Instagram and I also managed the email. So when I first started the project, it was either DM me, like send me a personal message or email me your art. Just, I just want to see what it is, you know, just your different style and things like that. Um, because we are, we allowed artists to have full control and creative expression. I just wanted to have some type of filter so I could kind of get a concept of where the artist wanted to go with their project. So I could kind of place them because again, this is a family friendly property as well, but not all of the murals, I will say fit into the family friendly, which is totally fine, but it just helped us kind of regulate the placement of where artists would be able to set up. Melody. Please tell us about your skater alien mural and the inspiration. It is so whimsical and fun. Uh, thank you. I don't know. I just, I love everything with that kind of subject matter, you know, universal, spiritual things, you know, otherworldly beings, the universe, all that. So this is also my, my first mural. So I knew that I wanted to do something regarding Atlanta, you know, the city of Atlanta. So I thought Atelian, and that's like the whole concept behind it. It's an Atelian, you know, floating on his cloud of smoke. Sorry about that, Deleon. It's not family friendly, I guess. <laughs> I didn't realize that until just now. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's like floating on his cloud of smoke and uh, just looking out through his window at the city of Atlanta and a little ET dude is, is floating above. You know, it's just something I love doing <laughs> often. <laughs> That's uh, how, like, what my art is kind of directed towards a little bit these days. So, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned this is the first large-scale mural you've created. What other type of artwork do you create? I should say it's my first outside mural. When I was a teenager, you know, obviously nothing in my art career or anything, but I, I used to do like murals in friends' rooms and my own room, stuff like that. I did like a Family Guy mural in mine, a SpongeBob, like the entire room for one of my friends, you know, stuff like that, sunflowers everywhere. But other than that, I just do a lot of painting, like canvas paintings, colored pencil work things like that. But after this, like, I had so much fun, so much fun. I really want to continue. More murals in your future. Yeah, and spray painting, definitely. <laughs> I want to get into woodworking. Oh, cool. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights, is speaking with the curator of the 44 Murals Project, DeLeon Blakely, along with muralist Melody Thomas. DeLeon, would you highlight and describe a few of the other murals on display? For sure. Like Melanie said, her piece is one of my favorites. It's so big and it's in tune with the things that I like as well. I'm I'm, I'm a sucker for an alien, right? So uh, <laughs> so her mural is is super, super unique, super cool. We have so many. One of my favorites, we we actually have two memorial dedication pieces, right? So two separate artists came out and we actually had a close friend of ours named Mo. He passed away a few years ago. One of our, our friends, they came and they did a nice uh, mural for Mo towards the back of the property. That's one of my favorites. It has Atlanta in the background and like, some smoke and just mist. And then it also has uh, Mo's face on it, which I think is really nice that the artist was able to paint, you know, somebody so close to us on the property. There's another huge, there's actually two really, really large murals on the property that I like. One is like a yin yang twin Buddha. It's really hard to describe, but it's just <laughs> imagine, it's just like peace signs and Buddhas and just like very abstract, but intentional. And it takes up, it's probably, I think one of our largest murals on the property. And it is right next to Melanie's actually, but it's, it's, it's huge. It covers the windows and everything like that. Another one that I really like is called Smiling Death. 
doesn't sound the best, but when I say it's, it's just really, really cool. It's just like a friendly skeleton on the property, but it's very colorful and it's kind of funny and heartfelt. And then I, I know I'm ranting, but there's another one I would like to highlight as well, because he's done two murals on our property so far. I really like the style of his work when he did the first one. So I asked him to come back um, to do another one, Jay Bix. And his style is exaggerated. So he has a collage of fish. Try to, you know, close your eyes and envision this with me. So he has a collage of fish and they're smiling fish. Oh. But the smiles are dramatic. So imagine like the widest, happiest smile you could ever see, but it's all in a collage style. So he has two of those on the property, which are pretty neat. But whoever's listening, I just encourage you guys to come to the property. It's just, again, we have over 86 different murals. So I could go on and on describing my favorites, but we'll probably be here all day. <laughs> well, to that point, the more than 86 do you and your team want to acquire other properties for artists to use as canvases? Yeah. So what we're doing now, you know, 100% transparent, as far as purchasing the property, I won't be moving forward with purchasing properties, but the people that I work with, they are buying a property in Atlanta left and right. So just to kind of piggyback off of that, we have the warehouse property and the name of the warehouse is called Parcel 44. So we have that property in Bankhead. And we also have a residential property um, not too far from the warehouse. And one of our muralists for the project was asked to come and do some artwork for the new resident property. So as, we, as my partner continu continues to acquire properties, I am so happy that we have this project because this is my source to be able to showcase the artists, the, the wonderful artists that we already work with. So yes, more gigs, more opportunities for our mirrorless to come outside of that warehouse and, and do things and, and gain more clients. We've been in communication with, I guess, Bankhead, and they have several new parks that they've been building. And with that, they want art. So again, more details to come, but we're definitely going to be expanding outside of the warehouse and giving the, our artists a lot more opportunities to create. Yeah. How does the 44 Murals Project act as a catalyst for future opportunities for these artists? Yeah, for sure. So one thing I will say, the events that we do have, a lot of people who just come, they will look at a mural and say, who is this artist? I have a project or I have an event that I need artists for. I would like this person. Okay, here's the contact for it because I have pretty much, I've created a catalog of all of our muralists who are involved and images of the murals that they've been able to produce on the property. So people will reach out to me and either inquire for artists or have seen their work and just want more details for their side projects. And then I just present them with their information. Yeah, and that's just kind of how that goes. Now that it's warm outside, I'm looking forward to being able to lock in as many artists as I can with side projects because that's that was my ultimate goal. Um, I am so appreciative that, I won't say all I had to do, but I'm appreciative that all I really had to do was put the word out there and the community showed up, you know, like, I think that's the biggest reward for me out of all of this. It kind of gets me teary eyed because we're not paying these artists. You know what I mean? There was a, a period of time in the beginning when I first started the project and granted when I thought it was only going to be 44 mirrorless where we were providing some paints and providing brushes and, you know, everything that was needed. But, it, you know, the need became a little bit more than what I could handle. But the fact that that didn't bother any of the artists, you know, they were just excited to have a location to express. So as grateful as the artists have been for this opportunity, I am equally, if not more grateful, you know, that the artists involved just did this off the strength of, you know, the project and what we stand for. And even if the artists aren't being paid at this point for the murals, the exposure and the connections you are making for them may lead to sales of smaller scale works. Maybe someone listening would even like to contribute so you could provide paints and brushes. Yeah, uh, for sure. 
slowly but surely more people are um, asking for for artists to either be a part of events or do side projects for other people. And again, like these are paid opportunities. So if there is anybody listening who is interested in either doing a mural at our warehouse property or just wants information on how they can kind of build their network and lock in other gigs, I would suggest anybody listening to follow our Instagram, which is 44 murals project. That's it. No spaces, no, no periods, just 44 murals project. I control the Instagram. So if you message me, I am the person responding and yeah, you know, let's expand, let's get to it. Let's make these artists some monies. Let, let's expand their network. That's what I'm all about. Deleon Blakely, curator of the 44 murals project with Melody Thomas, one of the featured artists in the project. You can view more than 80 murals at 1060 Donald Lee Holloway Parkway in Bankhead. More information is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Chef Lino Yi, the owner of TKO Restaurant, shares his journey from a pop-up to a place of his own. Plus, we'll hear about the upcoming production of She Kills Monsters at Kennesaw State's Onyx Theatre. If you missed part of the show today, like our story about Elok, the NFT-creating orangutan. You could see his artwork and catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Trobes, Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at LOIS. R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.